I am Debbie Mann, and this is Keep Your Pecker Up podcast, and my guest today is Lilla Hall. Hey, Lilla. Hi, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I am so thrilled that you're doing this with me. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and thank you for asking me. You're welcome. Why don't we start with, how did you find out about the team? Let's kind of go a little bit different on this call. Well, I actually didn't know very much about dragon boating and the team that we have here at the Waterloo Paddling Club. I heard about from Kaylee, who was one of the volunteers at Wellfit. And she came around and asked people and said, we're thinking of starting up a BCS team and blah, 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 blah. And would you be interested? And it really piqued my interest because when I was going through cancer treatment, actually the year after I was going through cancer treatment, I was taking some courses um, and it started at Hope Springs called Tools for the Healing Journey. It had five parts to it. And we did part one while I was going through cancer and part two, and they were just six week courses. And it was just, you know, sit around the room and chat at Hope Springs. Then the other two were done at, um, it was at Halton Hills. And so uh, one of the other ladies, and I, we traveled down to these, these classes once a week. And while I was there, I was in their little library thing, and they had a booklet that had been published by the Guelph Dragon Boat team. And I happened to pick it up, and I thought, man, this is really interesting. So I, I, I looked through it, and I got the contact information, and I called up. And I thought, when do you have practice? What do you do? And blah, blah, blah. And I was really interested, but the year after I had cancer, I was in a really, I was in a really low spot and it just wasn't going to work. I just didn't have the get up and go to go and get to Guelph. And I was still working and I was still balancing all kinds of stuff. I still had a child living at home. So I, it just didn't work. So when Kaylee approached me at Wellfit, I said, oh, okay, here we have it right here. I don't have to worry about traveling a half an hour. I don't have to worry about the drive. I can do this. So that's when I started. And she was our coach for the first year. And then um, Rick, Ricky came on board for the next year. And so just from there, it's just, that's how it's been. And so the very first year was really touch and go because we didn't have 20 people in the boat that were breast cancer survivors. So we call ourselves a breast cancer survivor team, but we didn't have that status that they that we later on got when we had all members being breast cancer survivors so that was kind of cool so it was that's when i heard about it so i had had sort of had the seed planted when i was at the um wellsprings in halton hills and then when it came here i just said okay i'm going to jump at it i had never been part of a sportsy team never i didn't do sports in school i didn't do any of that kind of stuff I had a pretty active lifestyle i I would bike to work or I would walk and stuff like that, but I never did anything as a team. Didn't know what it really felt like to be part of a team. I guess I could compare it to being in a choir or being in a band because, you know, you work together when you're in groups like that, but it was not the same as the physical things that you had to do for the team. So, so that's when I first heard about it. So how many years have you been a part of the team? Well, you, were you started, one of the original ones? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a original. See the gray hair? That's, that's <laughs> Yeah. She's no, pointing to her gray hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're, you know, it's all part of the, the very first team, very first. So how many years? That's been about six years, maybe? Yeah. So congratulations to you and everybody else, because you guys just, you had to grow to over 
what we're close to 30 members now. And I think it's awesome. So yeah, do well, I. So I love good. It. Yeah. What, so what are the, some of the benefits that you found from dragon boating? Well, just the physical activity for one thing. Getting out on the water, there's something very healing about water. Mm. Um, and there's something very calming about the water. Uh, I guess as a kid, I did a lot of sailing and canoeing and went in a rowboat and uh, did rowing as a, as a kid. But, you know, those were all individual or in the sailboat, there was two of us kind of thing. So I had a connection that I really liked with water. Being part of the boat just brought that in focus. That benefit of just, I, you know, there's just something, it's not, I don't want to call it magical, but as soon as you get on the water and you get on the boat, you get out there, you leave everything else on shore and you're out there and you just can let it go. And yeah. that was the, that was, that's the most benefit for me. You don't have lymphedema, right? Um, I do. In, oh. I don't have a severe case of it. I, I wouldn't call it severe because my arm doesn't swell up like a pumpkin or anything like that. I do get pain. And, and when I know, when under my arm and when, I, when there's pain under my arm, I, I say, okay, make sure you wear a sleeve. I got the sleeve right away. When I was finishing treatment, I, I called the owner of Swelling Solutions and she came over to my house. And she sat on the front porch and she explained all about what lymphedema was all about. And what surprises me is the number of breast cancer survivors that don't know anything about lymphedema. They don't really know what they have to avoid. Avoid the heat, avoid mosquito bites, avoid bee stings, you know, all those kinds of things. And I thought, why didn't they get that education when they were going through it? But I totally get it. There was so much stuff coming at you at the time. So I recognized right away that when I flew the first time and I didn't wear my sleeve, my hand swelled up. And I thought, that's what it is. I wouldn't call it a chronic problem, but I do go in for massages from time to time when it's really bothering me. And uh, again, it usually flares up in, with pain. And did you find that by, by paddling in the boat that it helped? I wouldn't say that I could say there was a direct thread and correlation between uh, no pain for lymphedema or anything like that. I just knew that I had to wear my sleeve and be careful. But being active, part of the being part of the gym really made a big difference. As much as it could, again, not never being a gym rat, I was never, I never lifted weights or anything like that. So being part of WellFit has benefited that. And so just to go from WellFit to dragon boating seemed like a good fit. Keep active. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that if you don't have it in your schedule, in your routine, it's really easy to let it go. It sure it, is. It gets dropped. It's one of the first things that gets dropped when life gets kind of busy. And I I'm admire people who can keep that up there at a higher priority and say, okay, no, no, I don't give up this. I mean, I never gave up my gym membership. I never, ever missed. Or if I missed, I really tried to make it up. So I, I recognize the importance, but it doesn't mean that when I'm not at the gym, I don't try to be extra all my hobbies and everything I do is very sanitary, you know, and so it's really, really, I have to be very intentional. We're going to segue now into the breast cancer conversation. So how and when did you discover your breast cancer? I was diagnosed in 2007. I had to stop and think. <laughs> 2007. Yeah. Okay. I had had, when we moved from Newfoundland, to Ontario, the doctor turned 40 within six months or something when we got here. And she said, okay, you need to do this and this and this and this and this. And I thought, oh my gosh, 
and I came home from, from my appointment and I said to my husband, I feel like a Newfoundland make work project <laughs> because, you know, all of a sudden I was doing all these tests and I wasn't sick or anything, but you know, I saw I started when I was 40 having mammograms and right away there was some flags. And so then I had two a year and then so on and so forth. And I had a lump and I had it drained and, you know, that kind of thing. So the, by the time I was 48, when I was diagnosed, I, you know, I had a lump and I went to the doctor and I said, well, I need this drained again. And I'd had the mammogram the month the, in March and this was November. And she said, well, let's deal with this other problem and then we'll see how you make out. So I was back in February. I said, well, the lump is still there. So then she sent me in for another mammogram. So it was in April that I it was diagnosed so well. Had you felt it grow or... Uh, no, I just felt it. It was there, um, but you know, I'd had lumps before. The breast screening clinic had just opened at Freeport, and so when I had gone in back at that March, she said, "Well, you had one, you know, last year. Well, let's send you down to this new place because you can get in right away." So they did. Uh, they did the ultrasound and they did a biopsy, and yeah, but it was pretty fast. Uh, I was, you know, when they say to you, "Oh, but you have the good kind," or well, that was tough. <laughs> Oh, you have cancer, but you have the good kind. I thought, no, I don't. <laughs> what good kind of cancer is there, Lilla? <laughs> Cancer's cancer, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I wasn't triple negative or anything like that. So I guess that was the good kind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what were you diagnosed with? I was estrogen with? positive. You were. Well, I'm not sure that that's a good one, to be honest <laughs> with you. Well, it was treatable. And look at me, I'm still here. That's so true. 13 yeah. years later. Still, I'm still around. And you didn't have her too or anything, right? Nope. Did you have a lumpectomy? And No, I'm pretty small breasted. So when the surgeon said, well, you have breast cancer, and then he gives you this little booklet that had like a question and then a one sentence answer. And I read it and I thought, my gosh, this tells you nothing. So <laughs> I came home and I, I said to myself, I am not going on the internet. I am not going to try to read all this stuff. So because once... They say that to you in a in a room, you have cancer, then your brain just goes in a different place. And it is something that I don't know how to explain it, but it was like there was all of a sudden numbness everywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, it just took over. So I came home and I made some calls and I said, well, what about this? I went to a lady who I knew had cancer. And she said, well, Lilla, I didn't ask any questions. So she didn't help me called my sister and um, she had a sister-in-law that had just gone through cancer. And so Nova Scotia printed a book this thick on breast. And so she sent it to me and I thought, why couldn't I get that here? You know, this little pamphlet that was given to me was useless. And then I went and, you know, I, I read Dr. Susan Love's breast cancer book. I don't know if you've okay. heard of her book. Nope. But I didn't read the whole book because it's like this thick. It's really thick. It's like four inches thick. But the best thing that came out of that book was the fact that it's all crapshoot. Whether mm. you're diagnosed, what kind of cancer you have, how they treat you, all of that is just crapshoot. Because they do the best they can. And doctors and nurses were awesome. I was never treated badly. I was one of the fortunate ones, I would say that didn't have her papers lost you know i don't know what that means having your papers lost well that means that you you had the test done and the file came back to your doctor and the doctor 
didn't get it filed in the right place. So you were never told that you had breast cancer. Really? And the number of people that I talked to that there was a mistake or there was this and they, and, and, she, and one woman just said, well, you know, her doctor sat and cried because he felt so bad that the papers had got lost. And she finally had, you know, I'd gone back to him and said, well, you know, I had this test, but I still have the slump and what's going on. And the secretary had misfiled it. So I, like I said, I'm one of the fortunate ones that things just moved along. And I just went from one step to the next. And, and it, I'm not saying it was easy, but there was a path. And, you know, you went in and they say, well, this is what's next. And this is what's next. And so you made your decision as you went with each step. In terms of what I had, these are the options. You can do this or you can do this. If you have a lumpectomy, you must have radiation. If you have a mastectomy and everything's fine, you might just have a mastectomy and that's it. And there were some people that I knew that that happened. They had a mastectomy, no treatment, nothing. But I, I chose to have a mastectomy because I'm so small. And they did, uh, and then I found out, you know, about the sentinel node. And that was a relatively new procedure. I think they do it all the time now, it's standard. But back then, there were two doctors in KW that did it. So I knew right away I wanted to do that. And, Explain and the sentinel node, if you can, the sentinel node. So before you have node. your surgery, they inject the tumor with a dye, and then the, where the dye is leaving the tumor, it shows up in which nodes. And so they take, they take those first nodes away around the tumor. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't have the scientific explaining it. Probably is a, a better way to say it, but that was my understanding, and I said, okay, let's do that. Well, I, you know, I, I was glad I did it. Um, because basically, you, you know, I had to go back because there were, the cancer had gone into the nodes, but you don't know that until after you've had the uh, tumor removed. And so I went back and I had more taken out. So that's all part of it. But you, you know, sometimes if you have the sentinel node thing, maybe there wasn't any need to go back if there hadn't been anything. Yeah. Did you have chemo? Yes. And, uh, and how did you time, do with chemo? At that time, they offered two options. The AC Taxel was for in that, and I understand that's all they offer now. Well, that's or, what I or, had, yeah. Yeah, or that, but the other one was called CEF, and CEF is just a acronym for those drugs, like blah, 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 or, you know, like <laughs> at one point I might have been able to rattle them off, but I can't rattle them off now. And the doctor said it was pretty heavy duty, but what scared me about the AC Taxel was right away, she said Taxel, some of the side effects is have, it was a numbness in the extremities in your feet and your hands. And my job as a church organist, I did not, I could not afford to lose, um, you know, have, have tingling in my hands while I'm playing. And that was another reason with the sentinel nodes that I did that so that I wouldn't have to have too much more after that. So I avoided the Taxel and so went right to the, CF, but it was very tough, and halfway through the treatment, my body couldn't take it. So then she did what they call FEC, which is just CEF backwards. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it was just the order in which they give you the drugs and the amount and the dosage. But it was really funny. I thought, yeah, right. It's still the same drugs. It's just so. <laughs> Uh, and I used to, you know, the one was head red, you know, and so I would used to dress up and I'd say, okay, I'm going in for chemo today. Here's my red short. So I would wear my red shorts or my, I had, I had actually, there were shorts with red, bright red poppies. And I'd say, oh, you know, I'd go in and say, I'm going in for my, my treatment. So I have to dress up for it, you know, kind of thing. You know, I tried to make it a little bit 
lighthearted. You know, as as we as we went through the whole journey, I, you certainly learned that you needed to have a sense of humor, and and you had to be careful because people that didn't have cancer, and if you made some kind of a joke that you know were you were kind of making light of it, if they had one of their loved ones had cancer, and you made this sort of lighthearted joke, they were very offended. So I learned very early on not to joke too much with people that didn't have cancer. You know, like I I had one guy at the welfare gym and he'd say to me, he said, well, you know, Lella, he says, cancer improves your looks. I looked at him, I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, everybody comes up and says, my, don't you look good. <laughs> Basically, they're saying you look good because you have cancer and you don't look like you're half dead. I don't know, but he just said, you always improved your looks. So I said, there you go. You did. You had, but you couldn't say that to everybody. You had, you know, people that had cancer. You really could. And so let's just go back to the boat. Yep. We can talk like that in the boat. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. going to be offended. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we do laugh a lot in the boat. Yeah. I mean, as hard as it is, there is a lot of fun in the boat. Yeah. It, you and and it, it's you want to not be disrespectful. Correct. If I found too that people that didn't have cancer could really quickly come up with, oh, you've got to do this. You've got to do this in order to be better. You've got to do this. And I, I remember very distinctly being at somebody's house for a shower, and it was really soon after, and I kind of went. I didn't really want to be there, but I went. And they were talking about another lady who had cancer. And they were saying, well, you've got to tell her. She's got to do this and this and this. And I just bit my tongue, but I thought, leave the lady alone. She can tell you what she needs. Because that's what I discovered. You you really have to speak up, be telling people what you need and let it be done at that. And not be hurt by people that couldn't figure out and intuitively say, oh, I, you need this, so I'm going to do this. You know, you can, there, there's, no, there's no formula that says, if you have cancer, do this and this and this and this. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Yeah. Did you just have uh, four treatments, eight treatments? Do you remember? Um, eight treatments of chemo and then 25 treatments of radiation. Oh, you did have radiation too. Oh, yeah. I actually felt I was pretty lucky. Uh, radiation happened right around Christmas. And when I say lucky, it meant that, you know, Christmas Day and Boxing Day, I didn't have it. <laughs> New, New Year's Day. I had, you know, so that there were a couple of four-day weeks instead of five-day weeks, and I think that just gave my body enough of a break. Did you have any kind of reaction to the radiation? Not too, too much. I mean, I was tired. Right. But, you know, you're at the end of a lot of treatments. You've got, like, you know, you had the surgery, and then you had chemo, and, and I was working. I was extremely lucky that my hours, I was able to reduce my hours, but I still could get my work done enough. So I was, I was still getting that. I had to give up one of my jobs totally because at the time I had two, three part-time jobs. And so I ended up with just one, which was enough. But so I was able to work all the way through everything. And I had a very supportive staff that I worked with. So I was very, very, very fortunate. But I, I found it exhausting. Uh, I will say that I mentioned before that as you went, as I went through each stage, this would say, this was next, you make the decision. This was next, you make the decision. And when then everything was done, it's fine. You can go now. We'll see you in six months. It's not like you were dropped, dropped like a ball, but that's when the, the low hit. 
that's when the very low was. And I remember the oncologist, she just said, you're, you're down in the mud and the mire right now and you're wallowing in it. And she said, but you can get out. You will come out of this. You will, you know, and so there was, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to do anything more than to say, okay, it's okay to be like this. And that was the big thing. It's okay to be like this. And my husband and family were very, they just left me, let me do what I needed to do, which was a blessing. I know that, uh, you know, again, one of my friends, she's, well, my family doesn't do this and this and this for me. And I thought, well, did you tell them what you need? You sort of have to really be gentle and say, I need this. Instead of being angry, you're not giving me this, <laughs> you know, because they can't. And sometimes there's things they cannot give you. And you have to acknowledge that they cannot give it to you. So don't look at them to give it to you. Like you don't look at a dog and say, why aren't you going to meow for me? A dog doesn't meow. So why would you expect a family member to give some kind of compassion or some kind when it's not in their, you know, they're dealing with what they're dealing with. And so I remember my husband coming home once from a meeting. He says, you know, somebody came up to me and they didn't ask me, how's Lilla? They said, how are you? And he said, nobody's asked me that through the whole treatment, you know, and he was carrying, he was doing the, the bulk of what was going on in the household. And so, you know, but this person recognized that, yeah, the caregivers need to have care given to them by the community as well. Yeah. They don't always, it's not always acknowledged. That's a great point, Lilla. Yeah. I had two neighbors come and, and dig my front garden. They mm. looked after my front flower bed. Um, and, and we had another person that I didn't know at all. I, I had met her, but I didn't really know her. And she would come every two weeks and she brought a big, big tray of food, but she came and cleaned my house. I didn't ask her. I didn't say. My husband just came home one day and said, so-and-so is going to come clean the house. I said, oh, good. <laughs> not? You know, so she came and she ran the vacuum and she, and she didn't try to sit down and, you know, talk to me or anything. She just came in and quietly did what she was going to do. And then she left. And, you know, she had, we always have a tray of, you know, cold cuts with buns or something that you could make and didn't have to, it wasn't that you had to heat it up. You didn't have to do any of that stuff. It just was uh, very simple. And, and then she would leave. And she did that for, yeah, quite a few times. Yeah. What a beautiful gift. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like you said, people that you don't necessarily know, all of a sudden, they, they see there's a spot for them to do something, and they can do it. Yeah, and we have to allow them to do it. Well, and it's part of the gift that you can give in that way, which you don't necessarily think of you giving them a gift, but you're giving them permission to help, and that's, that's what they want. So I'm grateful for that. I'm extremely grateful. There's a lot of things that you, as you stopped and had lots of times to sit, Made sure that you made your grateful list. Okay, I feel crappy, but now let's let's look at what's good. Yeah. And you have really bad days. Yeah. So my story from the cancer treatment that I had is that we had a cat. It was a calico cat. She was a female cat, and she was. We really got her for the kids, but she, we'd had her for about ten years. And all through my treatment, whenever I would make it from the chair at the table to the couch, she would stand at the couch and she would practically pranced waiting for me to lay down and she'd lay down with me and on the days that I was really bad she came right up close to my neck and, and just be there 
that was, you know, she just was very close. And she was a bit of an outdoor cat, too, but never went out when I was sick. She just stayed around. And wow. then when I finished my, my cancer treatment, she had a little spot in her back that was, the skin was gone. So we took her to the vet and because uh, my daughter was so insistent and 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 the doctor the doctor said well that's nothing really but she was gave her a full exam she's like but i think your cat has breast cancer and i looked at her and i said no and she said yes your cat has breast cancer now we can give her chemo and i said no chemo <laughs> so we just we had to have her put down eventually but yeah i don't know what that means i just know that she was a comfort for me and and whether she took it on or what it is, I've I've heard of animals doing that. People that have had brain tumors and then ends up that they don't have brain tumor and their dog ends up with it. I've heard of those all kinds of stories like that. So, and I don't go around chasing animal stories, but this was something that happened to me. Wow, isn't that remarkable? And then sometimes they don't. <laughs> nah, yeah, they don't. But when you hear those stories, it's really quite, it's quite touching. Any other words of wisdom, my friend? I don't so, think of myself as being very wise. <laughs> I just think wisdom is about life's experience and the things that you learned, which you've talked throughout this whole time. It's been a true honor to oh. chat with you, Lilla. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. I think you're doing awesome yourself. Thanks. You're an amazing, amazing person. So. Oh, thanks, Lilla. And I'm going to sign off now. So thank you for joining the Keep Your Pecker Up podcast. Lilla, thank you for being my guest. And we'll see you in the next episode. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.